and welcome into Poke the Bear episode 41. 41. I don't, I'm, I'm blanking on play, uh, for, oh, Yaroslav Halak. Yaroslav Halak, yeah. 41. Oh, that guy. Remember that guy? Uh, I'm Evan Marinovsky alongside Connor Ryan of Boston Sports Journal. Connor, how we doing? Evan, doing swell. I am doing swell as well. Ooh, like that. And all these things, it's so funny. It's exciting times, you know, warmer weather. The restrictions are being lifted a little bit. Uh, TD Garden will have 5,000 people-ish uh, starting May 10th, right in time for the playoffs. I can't wait to hear some, uh, some more chants from the, the grant from the, uh, from the balcony. You know, I can't wait to hear some more, uh, some, some more, you know, Mike's Mike from Southeast, uh, in the back of the balcony, just, you know, chuck it up, you know, Hey, Hey, Sidney Crosby, you suck. I can't wait to hear that again. Um, and you, it's nature's you, healing, nature's healing. You've been there that whole time that the fans have been back and you've heard some good, uh, you've, I've heard, I imagine you've heard some good chirps. Of course, yeah. It helps when you've only got a couple thousand in there. I think it echoes throughout the, the cavernous garden. <laughs> but I think uh, I think we will probably take more people and less trips standing out than we t- we take the the wall of sound as opposed yes. to uh, just one angry dude from Haverhill screaming up in the uh, nosebleed. So yeah, no, I'm fine with that as well. I give me the wall of sound and give me some chance rather than uh, you know one dude just screaming at something out. Um, I'm totally for, uh, for all that coming back and, and it's, it's going to be interesting to see how 5,000 people do, um, or how it is with how much it elevates the sound and, you know, what it's like with 5,000 people. Cause you know, they're going to be arenas that are almost full come playoff time in other parts of the country. So I'm interested to see how that all, all takes shape, but your Boston Bruins, uh, your Boston Bruins do have some, uh, topical, uh, things going on. And one of those things, I'd say number one, maybe, this Jeremy Swayman guy. He can play. He can play. He can play. And he and he came from hockey, so he didn't go to BU. He didn't go to BC. I'm proud to say, I'm proud to mention this team, next team in with all those. He didn't go to UMass. Went to Maine. He went to Maine. Paul, home, Paul Korea. But this Swayman guy can play. Can play. It's proven at this point. And one thing that has become abundantly clear this week is it looks as if he's probably bumped Yaroslav Halak. Uh, is that the right move? Is, is this going to keep going? Your general thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't see any reason why you would take him out of the rotation at this point, right? I, I think Bruce Cassidy more or less said that had this been, you know, the middle of the season uh, and they had a little bit more of a, a window or maybe a bit more breathing room in the standings to incorporate and get Halak back into the mix, then of course you do that, right? I mean, it's not like they they were looking forward to this year. It wasn't part of the plan to have uh, Halak get bumped out of the rotation and to have Jeremy Swayman step in. They didn't even think he was going to be remotely close to the NHL. Like, you know, oh. if, if, if this year was, if this year were according to plan, they'd be more than happy with him splitting reps with Ladar down in Providence and dealing with the expected development road bumps that you would imagine would come from a guy making the jump from college hockey to the pros hasn't happened. Thankfully for the Bruins, it's also worked out extremely well. Right. Um, so I think you look at uh, just the fact that they only have so many games left in the schedule at this point, you need to have, you know, the best product out there on the ice because the Rangers are right behind you, right? There's still four, you know, you got two games in hand on them still only four points separating you. So it's not like you can, afford to roll out Halak in a game where, you know, maybe he lets in three, three goals and shakes the rust off. You can't, 
you don't have that wiggle room right now, right? You'd rather roll out with Swayman, who um, has been spectacular, right? I think Bruce Cassidy said multiple times, he's yet to let in a bad goal, right? You haven't seen one of those uh, shots from you know, just past the blue line that, you know, beats him glove side. And you're like, oh, you know, you know, which if he gave, if he gave one of those up, you wouldn't be surprised, right? It's a rookie goalie. Like those happen. He's not done that. He's tracked every puck. Well, he, he's given you the best chance to win every single time he's out there, even his losses. How many of them are you going to really put on him? You're going to put that first loss of Pittsburgh on them when they lose one, nothing. No, of course not. <laughs> so uh, I, I think when you look at just the, the window that the Bruins have, how little time they have to get ready for the playoffs and how much they need to rack up these points right now. I, I think it's the clearest option because again, I, I don't know how much we want to, you know, jump into the, the playoffs because I think we all are in agreement that Stuka Rath's net right in the playoffs. But for right now, you have to pile on these points. And you can't have Rask out there every single day. Swimming gives you the best option, no doubt. Also, I think you we, we know what we're getting with Halak. Like the Bruins mm-hmm. know what they're going to get with Halak, and you know he makes some really spectacular saves. You know he he he's good with the high danger save percentage usually. Um, but the issue then comes with the softies, the, you know, I think back to that Buffalo game, I think it was Buffalo, uh, where he let in some of those, just some heinous shots. And it's like, you know, that's what you get with him. Like that's his thing. And, and I think, you know, that I also think putting Swayman back there more and more increases the likelihood the Halak walks at the end of this year. And then you're spending way less money in net, you know, because Rask, if he comes back, which he should, is going to make less than he is now. Then you take out Halak's money and you're paying what? Six million potentially for your net for a really yeah. good tandem. Like, I think that's pretty good. You can put that money elsewhere in the lineup. That's not a bad situation. Um, which is why I have no problem with Swayman bumping Halak. And, and, and Halak will still be around the dressing room. Um, and you know, he'll still mentor Swayman in, in those ways. But I mean, Swayman's played out of his mind, man. You tweeted the stat, the high danger save percentage thing. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Like that's uh, absurd. I mean, uh, most goalies would be happy with like an eight, eight thirty high danger yes. save percentage, right? Like again, they're called high danger save percentage because most times they end up in the back of the net. Like <laughs> I think, I think the out of that list, you know, there's obviously a few other guys who are played ten plus games, so they're kind of high up on the list. But it's not a, a huge sample size. But I think the number one like starting goalie on the list, I think, is Vasilevsky, and I think he's like eight sixty. So like again, that, and that's far and beyond what is expected from a goal in a situation. To have Swayman be nine fifteen, that's that's nuts. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it would only happen for a goalie who is openly admitted that he loves shootouts. So I guess yes. maybe he's used to it. So yes, it's funny. I think a lot of people are surprised that Swayman's like this kind of like chill, normal dude. Even though liking shootouts is not a normal thing. Yes. Um, but I remember I had him on Bruins beat uh, during the during the the dog days of quarantine when there were remember when there was like no content remember those yes. days uh i would not do anything to go back to those days but i had him on one week and he and just like i don't know he was not like your average like crazy goalie he was just like a normal guy you know yeah. he was whatever he's a kid and i remember at maine he used to you know go over to the glass and you know interact with fans he does it here in boston and so i think like it's kind of him he's just having a good time man and he's chill and He's the chill goalie. He's the hippie goalie. He's chill, you know, man. Like, um, but I, I don't think he's hippie at all. I think he's a, an outdoorsman at the, the most. That's why he chose Maine, actually, was yep. the outdoors aspect of it, which I just think is amazing. That is awesome. Um, can't believe he didn't choose BU for that. The outdoors at BU, the nature around BU. Charles River Esplanade. I mean, what, what more do you need? 
You you can hike around there all day. Um, go swimming, go swimming in the Charles. What do you think? What are you doing, man? I mean, is it more dangerous than you know running into bears? You know, hiking up in Alaska. I don't know. I think it might be more risk jumping in the Charles. So. Oh yeah, it's funny. There's uh, I shouldn't be saying this publicly, probably, but um, there we have a campus pond at UMass, and obviously it's one of it's, it's a last couple weeks here, and everyone's like, oh, let's jump in the campus pond. I that campus pond. If you jumped in that before COVID, you would be immune to COVID. You'd be immune to everything if you jumped should, in. That. Should, should have been ahead of the curve then. I, mean. I, I should have. I should have jumped in uh, at the beginning of last March, and then I would not have had to get vaccinated. COVID would not have been a thing for me. Um, but yeah, that that water is not something that uh, that's not a safe bet jumping in. But what is a safe bet? You're but always, what is a safe on, bet? You're always on top of these things, Evan. It's crazy. I, th- I thought I'd have to do like, well, we don't know if Jeremy Swain would be a safe bet in the playoffs, but we know it would be. Dude, a safe that one, that, that one was too easy. That was too I, easy. I like you this gotta, one. You got to be more creative. Jumping in the campus pond, not a safe bet. What is a safe bet? Bet online. Absolutely. Listen up, guys. It's an exciting time of the year around the sports world. The NBA is back in full swing. Bruins hockey has returned. And yes, Red Sox are back and they're still winning games. I think we're going to talk about this every single week. They continue (laughs) to win games. However, they're playing Jacob deGrom Wednesday night. So we'll see. We'll see how, how they do. But regardless, Red Sox are also back. Even if you guys haven't made it back to Fenway or the Garden just yet, you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. No matter how the schedules change or the players at play, Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you get in on every game this season with the fastest updated odds in the industry. There are always more options to wager than anywhere online, and we even have an exclusive promo code for our loyal listeners. So go to Bet Online and enter promo code CLNS50, that's CLNS50. For a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. You heard me, Evan, a 50%, 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Evan, no one beats that. Try beating it because you can't. So what are you guys waiting for? Head to bet online today and take advantage of all the great bonuses, offers, and contests available right now. Again, enter promo code CLNS50. That's clns fifty. For a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit, bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Experts, go there now. Um, now we get to the third line, which is kind of the controversial topic in Bruins land these days. Uh, what is the ideal third line setup? Now, Cassidy has tinkered with this all season. Uh, I, I, In some ways, I'll say this. I feel bad for Charlie Coyle in a sense. Uh, I know he's not producing. And I know that obviously that's an issue. Like I'm totally on the, 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 the bandwagon that Charlie Coyle is not consistent at producing. We know that we've known that for years now, but going into this year, you think about it. Charlie Coyle was told Craig Smith will be your right winger. You will have Craig Smith on your right side, which is pretty damn good. Now, granted he didn't produce much when he next to Coyle. So there's that, but he was probably pretty much promised Craig Smith. And on the left side, it was probably going to be Nick Ritchie, but whatever, you know, you'll have someone there. You, you know, whether it's Richie, DeBrusque, whoever, like they'll be solid enough. But now you think about it. Coyle's in the scoring drought. Cassidy takes the two wingers who are next to uh, David Krejci, Nick Richie, and Jake DeBrusque, who Krejci had a tough time jump starting and puts him with Coyle and says, have fun with these guys. Now, I agree that third line needs to do way more. Charlie Coyle needs to do more. They need to score. They need to produce points. They need to show up on the score sheet. I'm totally for that. But I think people have to understand also that Coyle was kind of put in a shit situation here with Jake DeBrusque, who is as inconsistent as inconsistent gets, and Nick Ritchie, who fits in certain places, but not in every place. 
Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And I think even if the Bruins are switching coil over to the wing over the last couple of games, to try to get them, you know, uh, you know, get a spark offensively. I still think when you get to playoffs, you need Charlie Coyle there at the 3C driving that line. Like, I, I, I don't think you're in the best spot if Sean Crowley's your th- third line center or you're bumping Lazar up when he's looked really good on the fourth line. I think you need to get that third line going, but it has to be Coyle in the middle. So I think the biggest issue then is just where do the pieces kind of fit next to him, right? Because on paper, you have a guy like Nick Ritchie who – has finished this year as a guy who plays a simple game, but, uh, you know, adds to a line and Jake DeBrusque, who you know, I think we've talked about it all year. He's got the potential to be a, a goal scorer. He's a guy who's done it in the past, but is that the best fit with Charlie Coyle? I think even if those guys are all on a line together at this point, do we have to juggle that combination up because Jake DeBrusque is just not comfortable on the right side, but then, you know, where do you put Nick Ritchie? Are you bumping Nick Ritchie down to the fourth line? Like it, it's, it's a tough situation because I think before this third line really kind of, uh, you know, struggled to get traction. I think you were pretty impressed with all the other lines, right? I, I obviously the top six has been fantastic. You have not had to worry about that line at all. I mean, it's they wild were, that the Bruins have a top six. I know it's mm-hmm. crazy. And, and it's crazy how well you, uh, the team looks when you've got two lines that can do that. Right. And it hasn't happened with this team for a long, long time. But even I, I think you look at Corrali and uh, Lazar and Wagner, I think they were, they've been a pretty good line too for, for the most part since they've been assembled. So even if you, you know, bring in a guy like Frederick every once in a while as an energy guy, and I thought he kind of provided some of that during uh, Tuesday's win over Pittsburgh, I think that's the making of a pretty solid fourth line where you can rotate a few of those guys in. Problem is, is, the, you know, you just keep with that third line and hopefully they, they cash in um, because I don't know if it's just, you know, sticking too many square pegs and round holes where you look at, you need someone to help uh, coil, get that offense and get that offense generated. And are you getting it from Nick Ritchie who has finished, but I don't know if he's really a, a line driver, you know, uh, how would he look if he wasn't on that top power play unit or next to David Craigie for most of the year, you can make that argument. And then Jake DeBrusque, right. I mean, I, I don't know how much you're going to get out of him, especially on that right side. So uh, it, it's a tough, it's tough trying to find out what the combination is because uh, it's also a situation where if Andre Kacha was healthy, all of a sudden I think you've got a lot more of an appealing option because if Andre Kacha is your th- third line right wing, you might have something there, but I don't think it's proactive to make any sign, any kind of realistic timetable for a guy like Kasha, given the injuries he's had and the history he's had. So uh, as I think Bruce Cassidy said, any offense or any contributions Kasha gives you this year is gravy. So I don't know how much you can kind of plan for him to be kind of that solution there, but you kind of cycle through the different options they have there. Right. And even guys on the taxi squad, like Coolman or any of those guys, I don't know if those are the guys that are going to be the momentum changing addition. It's going to get that third line going. I think you need Charlie Coyle in the middle there and you have to kind of, fight through and see what the best combination is, but your options are kind of limited right now. You need Anton bleed. That's what you need. You need yes. a leader out there. Uh, that's what you need. I think, again, if you are going to go to the cup, if you're going to really try to contend, Charlie Cole needs to be the third line center. I think that is a definite. Then I think Jake DeBrusque, you need him on that third line. He's, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the day, he's got, he's got some skill. Um, obviously I agree with, with, with Bruce and that he's got to have more compete like that. I agree with him there. And I think that, there are nights that you don't notice Jake DeBrusque, and that's a big issue. 
Um, you have to somehow drill it in his head that like, dude, you, you've got to be impactful in these games, especially in the playoffs or in this, in this, uh, run to the playoffs. Um, but I do think again, Jake DeBrusque is a solid third line left winger. Again, he hasn't been great this year, but would you like, you have to go through the list. Would you rather, um, would you like, would you rather Sean Corrali there? Probably not. You want him on that fourth line. Would you rather yeah. Trent Frederick there? No. Would you rather, like, you can go down the list. I don't think anyone would rather have than Jake DeBrusque on that third line left wing spot. Cause then you also have Nick Ritchie, who, or yeah. you have Jake playing his, DeBrusque playing his offside and, and Ritchie playing the left side. But still, there's no one you really are like dying to replace DeBrusque with. I also think it's good for development. Let him play out of this, maybe, even though it's been a full season thing. But I just feel that the, the potential, the potential is just higher with him, you know, right. um, than it is with anybody else. I think you have to kind of roll with that. So you have, you have DeBrusque, you have Coyle, and then probably Nick Ritchie. Nick Ritchie. I think, again, especially if you play the Caps, which we'll get into in a little bit, like you do need a big body like him. He can finish plays. You know, he's good, solid in the cycle game. Is he a shutdown guy? No. Is he a line driver? No. Uh, is he great? You know, do I want him entering zones with the puck? No. But there's enough there that warrants a third line spot. Um, and if you want to switch Corrali and Richie, if you want to switch Lazar and Richie, like go for it. Um, Cause Cassie likes to do that mid game. But to me, I think that's going to be your third line. That's, that's kind of got to be it. Um, that's your highest potential with them. Um, Cause again, Coleman's nice, but the production's not there. Uh, Anton yeah. Lee, Trent Frederick, these guys are cool. And Frederick, I think, will see some time in the playoffs. I think Frederick, especially if you play the Capitals, could see time on the fourth line. Um, so the third line, I think, is 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 up in the air. But it's funny because usually this is the debate we're having with the second line. We're usually like, listen, the second line ain't it. I also think it, an interesting thing about having an actual top six, and I noticed this against the Penguins. Let's say so like Crosby and, and Bergeron go against each other the most. That the, they play that you know those mm-hmm. two top lines always clash, right? So those two go against each other. The beauty is if you played the Penguins right now in the playoffs, like let's say the series starts tomorrow, mm-hmm. you can match up the Bergeron line with the Crosby line mm-hmm. and not worry about having no scoring. Like yep. Krejci's line can then go out against the second line, and that's a mismatch because that Krejci line is basically a first line. You don't have if if you want the fourth line to go out against Crosby, go for it, but it's not imperative. It's not. All bit, you know, you winning a series is not based on Corrali, Wagner, and interwinger, probably Lazar at center, mm-hmm. shutting down the other team's top line. So I think that's another, that's a positive that you have those, those two top lines um, doing those things. Now, I just mentioned an ideal first round matchup. I think to me, there's no better first round matchup out of the three that you could get than Pittsburgh. What would yours be? Uh, I think right now, it's funny. I mean, I think realistically, if the Bruins are playing at their level, I think they could beat any of the other three teams that are currently in the playoff picture. I just think yeah, they're winning the cup this year. You don't understand. <laughs> I, I, I they're winning everything. We'll see what happens when they get out and play, you know, the central, the West, um, whatever cup, you know, whatever team gets out of the North, which have fun, whoever they play out of their division. But um, I, I mean, I would probably say right now, based on the way they're playing, maybe the Islanders. The Islanders are 
not playing very well right now. They're not scoring. Uh, you know, I've only been glancing at a few of the stuff been written, written out in New York, but there's a lot of columns this year recently of it's what is Kyle Palmieri going to do to get going? Because right now he's not doing much. So uh, those are not good when you see those. I think Bruins fans are used to having uh, <laughs> columns like that, usually a week, week or two after uh, deadlines where they're like, what, who is this guy? What's it is funny how the do? world – I find it's funny how the world kind of flipped on its head with like the mm-hmm. Bruins deadline acquisitions immediately made impacts. Like Taylor yeah. Hall is on a heater. Mike Riley's been outstanding. Curtis Lazar. No one around here has even like remotely had to say like, when's Taylor Hall going to get going? Like, yeah, it's insane. Yeah. You honestly, I would have expected that in most years. And, and it's funny too, because you know, at the very least Hall is doing the, the basic of like, filling the stat sheet with just the tangible stats. Cause like, even if let's say he had one goal in his 10 games, like you look at the eye test of how well he's playing, which offense he's generating transition game, the back checking, all that stuff is great, but you would immediately get the, you look at fancy stats, right? It's like, Oh no, he also has four goals and, and seven points. So, yeah. Look, his expected goals aren't real goals. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah, he's scoring those two. I don't know if, I mean, that goal he scored on Tuesday might have been the best goal of the season for the Bruins. And that's, that was, nuts. uh, I, I kind of wrote about it that it's one thing that I think you have to be encouraged by how Hall is fit with this team where, you know, just how he's no longer the the guy anymore. And the fact that his chemistry, I think with Krejci and Smith has, you know, meshed very well, but you also, I think have to look at the fact that, Hey, the Bruins have, have missed this kind of like instant game changing offense that you don't, you didn't have outside of that top line, right? Like you didn't have this guy who can just, you know, get push the puck down one of the AC other, make a move, and all of a sudden the puck's in the back of the net. Like you've missed that, especially outside of the top line. So it's worked fantastic for them. But going back to just the matchups, like I think the way the Islanders are playing right now, uh, you know, it's still going to be a tough out. Any of the teams they play is going to be a tough out. But uh, I just think the overall high end level of uh, the Bruins is too much for the, the Islanders, especially the way they're playing right now. It's just. Um, it, it'd be tough for them to catch up, but the P- Penguins are right up there. I mean, the Penguins like scare me a little bit because it's one thing you have to worry about Crosby, but they just seem like one of those teams where it's just these like ragtag crew of jabronis that like are just having career years. Like, what the fuck is Cody CC doing? Like, I'm like, oh, upset that's so I'm, weird. I'm upset when I see him. I'm like, who the hell? Like, when like all these moves they made, like Matheson and CC, I was like, what the. F- are they doing in Pittsburgh? Like these bum ass guys they got, and they're playing great. Like, and it's not like, you know, it's, it's in the years past where it's like, you know, they get Brian Rust, you know, like who the hell is this guy? And he does well. Cause he's on the top six or, uh, you know, Chris Kunitz being a 40 goal scorer because he's with Crosby. It's like, these guys are also just like playing unreal out of, out of these spots. Um, so, I mean, I think any matchup is going to be tough, but I think right now you look at the way the Islanders are playing that one might be a bit more of an appealing matchup because outside of, and I know they play a, you know, a, a good defense and they, they pack it in. Uh, but outside of Barzal, you know, they don't really have that game changing offense. It's a very simplified uh, format or, or structure they have. Um, but we could also in a week be looking at the playoff standings. And as much as Bruins fans are probably looking over their shoulder at the, uh, the Rangers, it might be the Islanders. Like the, the <laughs> Islanders and Rangers play twice. Uh, coming up here and I think the Bruins are only one point behind the Islanders so 
Bruins take care of business against the the uh, the Sabers and the Devils, and the Rangers win those two games. Bruins could be in third, and Rangers could be in fourth. And the Islanders could be out. Like that, this is what we've talked about the whole year, where the Bruins had so many games in hand, and especially such a tough schedule out of the out of the start of it that all these other teams are kind of more or less playing catch up now, or they're finally getting the tough part of the schedule right ahead of the playoffs. So a whole lot can change, but I think as you know, worried as Bruins fans were about the Rangers catching up, I think the Islanders had to look, you know, look behind the shoulder at the Rangers too, because Rangers are playing well and the Islanders are not to say the least. That's the thing. And I, I think you're right. The Islanders are 63, the Bruins are 62. They play each other, all that stuff. Um, I, I am, I agree. I think the Islanders have been struggling, but I just look at the way the Bruins played them this year. I look at the way that team played for the majority of the year, how all in they went. I know they lost to Anders Lee, but just, I don't know, Barry Trotz, the coach. I just, I worry about that team. I don't, I, I that, they're my prediction to come out of the East, you know, a few weeks ago. So I might stick with it. Um, but I don't know. I just, there's something about that team that just makes me not pick them as the easiest. I think it's the Penguins. Again, the goaltending's um, kind of up in the air with them. Um, you don't, when is Malkin coming back? We don't really, do we know yet? He's I, getting I no close. Idea. He's getting he's close. Okay. Yeah. After he's going to come back, he's going to have his revenge for Jared Tenorti. It's coming. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I, to me, it's, it's the Penguins. I think that that would probably be the easiest. I don't think any three are easy. I don't think it's a favorable no. matchup. I don't think there's a matchup like, Oh, the Bruins need to play this team first. Um, because again, I think all three of the other teams are, are very solid. By the way, no one's talking about this. Taylor Hall. I added him on my hockey ultimate team. The 88 overall Taylor Hall card has like five goals in two games. Guy is immaculate at entering the zone with the puck. Like just great at zone entries. Um, it's oh, he a great card, an amazing pickup by me. It was a good bargain too. It was like thirty five thousand coins. It was anyone who plays Hut can appreciate uh, the addition of him to my second line. Um, so no one's talking about that. I don't know why no one's talking about that. That's a pretty big deal. Five goals in two games. That's that's player of the week status right there. Um, but yes. So yeah, for, as first round matchups go, I think that it's probably, um, I don't think it's the Capitals. I don't think that's the team you want to play first, mainly because yes, you can beat them, but you're going you to both said, they're going to kill you. Like you're, yeah. it's a war. Um, like you can't tell me like Matt Krosik is escaping that series alive. <laughs> Come on. I mean, I mean, I think if you're the Bruins, like a, a best case scenario is you leapfrog the Islanders and get either the two or three seed play probably the Penguins and then have the Capitals either beat the shit out of the Islanders or even the Rangers, which that would also be a good scenario of which like if the Rangers sneak in, last thing you want is a hot team. If they give the Capitals trouble, there you go. Like yeah, I think the best case is, you know, either you face a weak a weak Islanders team who's slumping in or a team like Pittsburgh that got a lot of skill but you can still uh you can still get your chances against them especially once you figure out kind of that they open up a lot of the middle of the ice which uh Cassidy alluded to in the last game and what do you know you got a guy like Taylor Hall who can speed through the neutral zone now it's great how that works I know that too because again my hockey ultimate team is just so good on it um that's my main my main piece of analysis on Taylor Hall see what he does for me um at any rate Connor before I let you go uh, what can the listeners look forward to at Boston Sports Journal yeah, we're going to be uh, starting to do our early previews of matchups in the playoffs because it's right around the corner, as crazy as it is to say that. So all that stuff will be over at bostonsportsjournal.com. So subscribe to BSJ. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can do that at Connor Ryan underscore 93. Go do all that. For CNS Media, I'm Evan Marinovsky. That's Connor Ryan at Boston Sports Journal. You poked bear listeners. Have an amazing rest of your day. <laughs>